0: There's no question a lot is at stake in this year's election, at all levels of government. We here at the Topeka Capital Journal are doing our part to share the perspectives of those running for elected positions in Kansas. My name is India Yarbrough, and I'm a reporter for the Capital Journal. Over the next few weeks, leading up to the November 3rd general election, our reporters will be interviewing candidates running for local, state, and national offices. We'll be asking them questions about their platforms and priorities, and having conversations about what this year's election means to Kansans. We hope you enjoy listening to our Election 2020 podcast series.
1: Welcome to the Topeka Capital Journal's election podcast. We have been sitting down with local, state, and federal candidates to talk about their campaigns and the issues that matter to Kansans. My name is Andrew Ball. I am one of the statehouse reporters at the Topeka Capital Journal. And joining me today is Callie Barnett. She is the Democrat running in the big first congressional district against Republican Tracy Mann. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate any opportunity, but especially this one, to be able to spread the word about what we're doing.
1: So just starting off, we've kind of been starting out with all our candidates. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are as a Kansan, you know, what's your background, and why are you running for Congress?
0: Sure. Well... Uh, as you said, my name is Callie Barnett. I'm born and raised in Garden City, Southwest Kansas Proud, and I'm a third-generation wheat farmer's daughter. So food and farm issues are near and dear to my heart, and for the last 12 years, I've actually been a music teacher, and I didn't plan to go into politics, had no idea that teaching would lead me to this path that I'm on right now. But like a lot of you, I've experienced many struggles throughout my life and I'm confident that my story could and should have been different if we had a government that was truly working for kansans So I'm, I'm working hard to be a new type of leader for the first district, one that they've never literally had the opportunity to vote for. This year in the first district, they have a chance to elect their first woman to Congress, a farmer's daughter, a music teacher. And I like to say it's just it's I'm one of us. I'm not a career politician. So we're certainly running a different campaign than most, uh, if not all, have. I've taken a no corporate PAC pledge and I'm running a true grassroots campaign and I'm fighting for you know, our thriving teachers and schools, especially as an educator, healthcare that's accessible and affordable, which I know is on everyone's minds right now, stable markets for our farmers and ranchers, and to help our small businesses really grow our economy out of this pandemic. And I, you know, I'm just look forward to diving more into that. And if you have further questions about, you know, me and who I am and my past, feel free to um, ask and I can expand further. Well, so I did
1: want to ask, you know, the big first is not a district where traditionally Democrats have had a whole lot of success. Uh, Congressman Marshall won pretty handedly in 2018. Uh, Why is your campaign different? How are you energizing voters uh, to change the narrative that has historically existed in this district?
0: Sure. Well, I I know that that there's there's lots of things we've seen in in the past that we've you know we've heard about this wave right wave of women like me who have not had a political history but have stepped up uh, stepped up to the plate record number of women in 2018 that were elected to congress and running for congress and of course there's somewhere in my psyche that that prompted me to run and this the, In 2018, we saw Laura Kelly elected to governor, who's a woman Democrat. We also elected Sharice Davids to the third district. And the first district as a whole has supported Democratic women. Sibelius overwhelmingly won in the first district when she ran for governor. Laura Kelly has also done great in the first district. And they truly have just not had a woman Democrat to run in this race. I also know I'm the first candidate to run do this as my full-time job give it all of the energy and that i have and ha- just have a fantastic team of people around me who are who are making it happen and i think that i can absolutely connect with voters on on so many levels because i'm not a career politician i am someone who truly has just been through a lot in my life and and especially did not see 2020 coming with covid-19 but there's so many people who are looking for someone that not only they can connect with, but truly feels like they understand uh, a little bit. Of course, I can't certainly understand what every single person Faces in their daily life, but finding someone who they can connect with and relate with, and they can actually sit across the table from and have an honest conversation, and know that when not only they earn their vote, that they're going to go to Washington and fight for them. And I have not felt that from a first district representative. So I know as we're going around the district, uh, you know, pre-COVID, of course, uh, lots of meetings in person, but now it's just been many, many digital meetings and phone calls, and just lots and lots of direct voter outreach and having those conversations, even when they're difficult. I know that politically, we have so many more things in common with people than we have with differences. And so for me, it's just not polarizing, not so much about the D that I've chosen to put next to my name. And it's just everything about people and what they're going through and finding out from them what a representative can do for them in Washington.
1: Well, a lot of what Kansans have been going through in the last six months or so has been tough times because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Diving into the issues, I think that's probably a good place to start. Mm -hmm. There has been a lot of discussion coming out of Washington. I think the narrative has changed two or three times in the last 48, 72 hours about a stimulus further aid from Washington for businesses, nonprofits, state and local governments, What should the federal government be doing in terms of a relief package uh, to support Kansans in the first congressional district?
0: Absolutely. Well, I haven't talked to a person yet. <laughs> Maybe there are some, but I have not p- talked to a person yet that it hasn't struggled through this pandemic, either financially, either uh, loss of employment or a family member who has, has suffered from COVID or, uh, or uh, you know, just financial loss is very, very great right now. Our economy is really struggling. Our small businesses are really struggling. Um, close to 70% of Kansas small businesses businesses have applied for PPP loans and I hear from people that they need additional help we, we also know that a lot of the, the the loans that did go out to businesses went to some of the, the larger fish in in the economy and we need to make sure that our small businesses really are getting the support that they need I shudder to think what's going to be on the other side of this pandemic if we do not especially help our small businesses right now. I know that we continuously have to make sure that our healthcare is affordable and accessible and is not directly tied to our, un- our our employment or rather unemployment. We know that there's millions of Americans right now that are facing unemployment and are really struggling to to take care of them and I I think, you know, we can talk more, I'm sure, about healthcare and all that I think that it needs to do but As far as COVID goes, I absolutely think that we need to provide more of a a stimulus and support for our Kansans, especially here in the 1st District. Our farmers are struggling, our everyday people are struggling. Um, we've got to make sure that, that with our distance learning when it's happening, that we've got the resources that are there. Um, we've got you know, a lot of communities here in the 1st District that do not have access to working cellular and broadband. And so finding ways that we can get hotspots to our students and in a big general sense, we know that we've got to instru- in, invest in infrastructure um, For cellular and broadband here in the first district, especially.
1: Zooming out a little bit, Mm
0: -hmm. what
1: grade, and you don't have to assign an exact letter (laughs) grade, although you are a teacher, so that you you might be able to do that. Uh, What grade would you give the federal government's pandemic response? What do you think should have been done differently to Kansans, especially (laughs) thinking of balancing the public health aspects for Kansans and the obvious commercial and financial impacts that? Uh, that have been a fallout from the pandemic
0: well, as a teacher, I can tell you that that when you give a grade, it's not just based off of one assignment or one task, and let's break it down by tasks and really see where we're at. I think from day one at the federal level, the conversation has been very confusing. The information that's been laid out has not only been delayed, um, sometimes not even given accurately, but it's also not been based off of sound science and reasoning. And you know, there's there's just, it's been be very, so politicized that and that the information has been very confusing. So as far as that goes, uh, I'm not sure if I want to give it a letter grade, but i don't I don't think that it probably would be passing <laughs> in my eyes And I know here at the state level that Governor Kelly has worked very hard to help kansans and she's you know met a lot of resistance from our statewide mandate to wear masks uh, to you know trying to delay the start of school and being shut down by the state school board. We just I think it's it's really confusing at the federal level that we have, you know, President Trump and the White House continuing to act as normal, whatever normal means, I'm giving air quotes and returning back to business when we know that there should be a a huge Uh, precautions that are taken, knowing that there's, what, over 30 staff members now that have tested positively for COVID. And here in the United States, as of yesterday, it was 212,000 lives that have been lost. So we have to continue to take this seriously. and, And we know the way that we can combat it, of course, is socially distancing and wearing masks in public. So those are the messages that we know resonate and are strong. And we just have to continue to do in our communities until we get through this.
1: Unfortunately, it seems like cases are ticking up in Western Kansas. Mm -hmm. You're in Garden City, so you would probably have a better sense than I do, but based off the data we're getting from the state, you know, what is your message to to folks who are maybe tiring of of some of the public health, uh, the public health communications from from our leaders? Um, You know, as an elected official, you know, you're not necessarily directly involved with formulating public health policy, but you are modeling behavior, you know, what for, for Kansas for the, in the first congressional district, you know, they might be getting tired of all this. What's what, what what do you have to say to that?
0: Right. I mean, it's natural. We're all going crazy. We're all, I shouldn't even say going crazy. We're climbing the walls, right? We all want life to resume back to normal. We want to open up our small towns and keep our businesses thriving. But we know that we're not through the storm with this pandemic. And so, The message, again, just I I think has to be very clear and not confusing and saying, look, our cases are rising every single day. We can't let down our guard and allow this virus to, you know, continue to take over and have spikes because we're tired of, of wearing our masks or socially distancing. We know that we're not through this yet. And even in our rural communities where there's maybe not as large of a population and, and our population is not so dense and it's more sparse, we have to make sure that we're continuing uh, to wear our mask and socially distance. So I think that that, that clear, concise message just has to be there. And you're exactly right about Western Kansas, the, the clusters that are happening around the state. Most of them are right here in the first district. And we have to keep communicating to people that, that you have to uh, help slow the spread. And, you know, there's a huge difference between the way that, that me and my team are campaigning and my, Opposition is running his campaign. Uh, The last about week, there's been a a bus tour where um, Roger Marshall and Tracy Mann have been going around the first district and around the state, and uh, gathering crowds of hundreds of people with no masks and they're not socially distanced. And it's it's extremely alarming to think where our cases are going to be in the next couple of weeks and if they're going to continue to rise because of reckless behavior like this. And our campaign is as hard and as difficult as it has been. We have made the choice since day one with COVID to mostly run a digital campaign because it, as a future elected representative and a leader of our communities, I have to be walking the walk and talking the talk, and that means like I can't continue to campaign as normal, and we have to keep people safe.
1: There's a lot more we could talk about with regards <laughs> to the coronavirus do want to switch gears a little bit uh, and maybe the biggest industry in the big first is agriculture. Uh, not maybe, I, I think that's a fact. Yes, uh, it is. And, you know, what should the federal government be doing with regards specifically on trade to open up opportunities for Kansas farmers? And I won't make, again, no letter grades here, but how would you assess and maybe like to see changes from uh, the current t- trade policy of the current administration?
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, it's, it's extremely alarming to me and disheartening that our current administration really has used our farmers as pawns in the trade war with China, and they're the ones that have taken the hardest hit and the hardest blow. Our, our farmers want to have stable trade and not aid that is incredibly important to them that they are still able to to provide the the commodities and uh, raise their cattle and uh, provide the food to our literally our nation um but but not have to take a check from the federal government to make ends meet so i think it's it's absolutely about building relationships and making sure that at the federal level we're we're doing our job which is continuing to build those relationships and establish those healthy trade relationships that are not going to make our farmers suffer. And it's alarming that, you know, a lot of the relationships that have been severed over the last few years are, some people say that they could take even 20 years to redevelop those because what happens when we cut our ties, then, then they're going to find their commodities somewhere else. So we have to make sure that that we are not using our farmers as pawns. My opposition, again, Tracy Mann has said that farmers are patriots and they're the tip of the spear in this conversation. And I just have a really big problem with that. My family, when I was 17 years old, lost the farm. I went through the heartbreak of all of that. Uh, The turmoil of of having to choose to go through a bankruptcy, which uh, in 2018, Kansas was one of the largest states for, uh, farming bankruptcies and our suicide rate is going through the roof. And my parents had to make that really difficult decision when I was only 17. And when I, a few, few weeks after they filed, my parent, my dad actually passed away from a massive heart attack that I'm certain was stress induced and he was 48 years old. So I know what it's like to lose the farm. I know what it's like to go through the stress and, I can't imagine, you know, if my father were alive today that he would be okay with being used as a pawn uh, for a trade war. So I think it's just, again, creating um, stable access to our fair trading markets. And the 1st District historically has also been a part of the House Ag Committee. And I will, of course, seek to be a part of that because we've got to have people who um, can, can fight for our farmers and not just say that they're going to stand with them.
1: One thing that farmers have said recent years that has added increased pressure has been regulations from the federal government, uh, whether that's environmental or otherwise. What balance should be struck there uh, that, you know, giving farmers a chance to wield their, you know, they understand the land Mm -hmm. to, to carry that out and also balance with, with potentially a need for regulation or is there a need for regulation?
0: Sure terms? I mean I think that that we have to make sure that farmers have a, a voice at the seat of the table, especially when it comes to climate change and what action we are going to take forward. I absolutely stand by saying that we've got to invest in our farmers. We've got to incentivize ways for them to continue to um, you know, work the land in, in a way that's going to be best for our environment. And in my opinion, they're already doing all of those things. It's just a matter of continuing to support them in the process they are seeing and feeling firsthand the effects of climate change and they know best what is going to work and what how we can make a positive change so i think it's making sure that they just have that voice and that seat at the table and you know in kansas it's amazing what we've been able to do with our our wind we have so much of it in kansas especially in western kansas and and again kansas has been a leader in wind producing energy, wind energy producing. And we need to continue and to invest in, in solar and wind energy. And I think we have a real opportunity to create jobs here in the first district and really be leaders in the frontier of all of this and, and just helping create a, a, a better world for all of us in the next few years and for a long time to come.
1: Changing course again. Again, a lot more we could talk about <laughs> on ag as well, but it goes without saying, I think that conversations around race have escalated dramatically in the first district, in Kansas as a whole, and in the country as a whole, over the summer. Uh, starting off, you know, do you agree with the phrase Black Lives Matter? And you're not in your head.
0: And- yes, absolutely. Black Lives Matter. <laughs> That's number one.
1: We've been asking everyone that, Uh, and so following from that, as a federal candidate, you know, you're not necessarily going to be on the front lines of of some of these conversations, but what do you believe is the role for the feds to play in, or as as a congressional representative, what do you believe your role is in facilitating and developing policy related to issues of policing?
0: Absolutely. Well, and, and you mentioned that I probably wouldn't be on the front lines. I, I feel like I, I absolutely should be. Let's say that because being from Southwest Kansas, I've long known the if important roles that our immigrant families play in our communities. And it's important in all of these conversations, whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter or immigration policy and reform, um, we, we know that we're talking about people. <laughs> people and they matter and they're not just a commodity here in the first district Um, their essential way of life here in the first district when it comes to our farming economy and our our general way of life and um, it's going mildly off topic but in in regards to immigration we know that we need immigration reform and we need to honor our history as an immigration and it is important that we do create that clear pathway to citizenship that is efficient, it's reasonable, it's humane. And in regards to police reform and Black Lives Matter, matter yes, absolutely, Black Lives Matter. As a teacher, I know firsthand the importance of recognizing people, individuals for who they are and uh, the, the unique things that they bring to just, I don't want to say the table. Really, our communities, and it's incredibly important that in and talks about law enforcement and what we're going to do um, is making sure that 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 we know our police community is there to protect and serve, and we know that not all of our citizens right now are being protected or well served, especially our. communities of color so it's addressing the systemic racism and it's coming up with some ideas on police reform and as a community how we can really um, look these uh, head-on and and you know work together to make a change
1: and then one more question on a different subject (laughs) Um, just respectful of your time There have been concerns about the future of the U.S. Postal Service, and this is a particularly acute issue for rural communities,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which the big first. A lot of rural communities there. You know, what do you think is the best way to chart a sustainable future for the U.S. Postal Service while balancing the needs of the small towns that would make up your district?
0: Well, we have to continue to fund it, right? We know that it is an institution that has been there for a very long time, and there's been so much discussion lately, maybe I'm gonna take it to just a little bit more of an angle, there's been such a discussion lately about uh, our voting process, and especially with COVID, with uh, mail-in ballots, and the safety and security of all of that, and should we trust the US Postal Service to take care of our ballots, and it's just really disheartening to me because we have trusted the U.S. Postal Service, we've utilized the U.S. Postal Service and depended on the U.S. Postal Service for so long. And especially in rural communities, we are going to greatly suffer and our small businesses, I believe, will greatly suffer if we are not taking care of the U.S. Postal Service. So I think it's just incredibly important that we, number one, continue to recognize the importance of it. And at the federal level, that we continue to fund the U.S. Postal Service, and then when it comes to voting and our elections, trusting our system that has been in place for so long, and making sure that, again, we're registered to vote, and uh, we know that here in Kansas uh, that we've only got a few days left to do that. So I'm really looking forward to how there's now 25 days left before the election, and uh, things are, are really getting close.
1: So there's a lot that we didn't talk about. And uh, I know healthcare, education, uh, a lot there. Yeah. To close, you know, what would your three biggest priorities be if elected? And I'll give you a chance to kind of fit in maybe some of the some of the things that we didn't talk about.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for asking that question. I, I healthcare is something is on, uh, that is on everyone's minds right now. In my opinion, we have to build upon the strengths of the Affordable Care Act, understanding that it protects millions of Americans with pre-existing conditions. And while we are in the process, we need to make sure that we are coming up with a robust public healthcare option. COVID has shown us the the deficit in our healthcare system, and we have to make sure that healthcare is accessible and is affordable for as many Americans as possible. And the thing that I hear constantly from people is that the out-of-pocket costs are so high. The deductibles are so high. The cost of prescriptions is just uh, really, really, challenging and people should not have to make a choice between paying for their prescription medicine or their next meal or be worried about the next medical emergency that might put them in a mountain of debt. So I know that that's certainly on people's minds and so fighting for that will be a top priority of mine. Uh, Education as a teacher of course is incredibly near and dear to my heart and I strongly believe that no matter where a child is born or what family they're born into, they should have uh, uh, access to a public school education that is the best quality that it can be. And right now our teachers are struggling our schools are struggling. They don't have the funding that they need and to b- provide the best education possible. So we need to make sure that we're doing them. It's literally what got me into running because I started teaching during the Great Recession, the Roundback Tax Experiment, and it was just incredibly crippling as a, an educator to not uh, have the, the resources that I need for my students so making sure that that is is there for us and continuing to make sure our public schools are thriving along with uh, starting a you know robust pre-k program um, I would like it to be birth through age four uh, is, is just an important conversation to have And then last, which we already talked about a good amount today, is making sure that we're supporting our our farmers and ranchers, talking about food and farm issues and agriculture. As you said, uh, farming is the number one economic driver here in the First District, and it, it feeds people around the country. So. Fighting for our farmers and making sure that they have stable markets is, is just incredibly important for the first district. And there's many, many other issues and, and things that I'm standing for, but those, those are our three most important.
1: I lied. One quick follow-up question <laughs> on healthcare. Sure. You said building on the Affordable Care Act. Do you think building towards a Medicare for all style plan uh, is a bridge too far?
0: You know, I think it's, I think it's going to take to get a lot of work to get to that point. And I I hear, you know, different things from doctors, hospitals, healthcare providers wondering if that is the best solution for us. So that's why I I think it's important that we can't end what we have right now that's protecting and, and helping so many Americans with the Affordable Care Act do I think it's perfect? No. Do I think that we'll ever come up with a perfect health care system? I'm not sure. That's really difficult to say. But we have to make sure that we're, we're coming up with solutions in the meantime. So that's why I say a robust public health care option is the best next thing that we can work towards.
1: Kelly Barnett is the Democrat running in the first congressional district. Kelly, thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Have a wonderful day. for listening to this episode if you're looking for more you can support local journalism by subscribing to cgonline.com reading our articles and following the latest news on our social media platforms you can also find more podcasts like this one in the apple Podcasts app on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts